0: slightly opinionated joe uh here's your host joe all right thank you for joining me today for another episode of slightly opinionated joe today's episode is going to be about something that's techie i apologize if that's not your forte but today we're going to be talking about podcasts podcast audio specifically and you know before i actually started doing uh, this podcast it's still relatively new i I had done audio before. I've worked doing uh, pro audio in the corporate sector, if you will. I've done live audio. I've done some recording. um, And because of the fact that I've done it before, I didn't really feel uncomfortable doing it myself. So I don't really, like, have issues in that regard. But, you know, I, I like reading online. I like reading articles. I like reading, you know, all these people who, like... You know, giving people nuggets and tips and advice about how to produce this and how to make that. So it's great because you can go online, you can go on YouTube, you can go on a bunch of different sites, and you can read, and there's so much information available. Now, you got to take it with a grain of salt. That's the thing. So uh, with that, I just want to talk about a couple of things, uh, mostly about just the idea of... Uh, Audio where we're at today with it and podcasts and how how that's, to me, very significant. So I remember when I was a kid, I recorded on cassette tapes. And I love cassette tapes. I thought they were awesome. The sound quality was good. And that's subjective because there really wasn't that many options available. That you could go to the store, buy a tape, come home, you have a tape recorder. They weren't very expensive. You could plug in a really cheap Radio Shack brand mic or whatever into it, and bam, you can record. Now, was it a broadcast studio? Oh no, but it worked fine. I I freaking love tape recorders. I love tape recorders. I still love them. I I don't think I have one, but the idea is it's very simple. Anyone could use, and once it's recorded, it's on a magnetic little, little disc, and as long as you take care of it, it should last for some time, but it could possibly degrade because of the fact that it's magnetic media. And temperature uh, and environment could affect the actual uh, very, very thin and fragile uh, tape that it's recorded onto. So, you know, you gotta think about it. That's uh, 80s to 90s. 90s, we're, we're hitting the digital revolution where a lot of digital options became available as tape was kind of being phased out. And, and because of the fact that, you know, with the digital variant, there were a lot of options, one of it being that it was noise-free. Uh, the biggest issue with tape is noise. So there's that's the thing. When you went to digital, there was no noise. So people were really excited about that. And, you know, I can understand why. A lot of studios were trying to be progressive. They were trying to be ahead of the field instead of behind, you know, with older technology. But um, when those options became available, uh, Pro Tools was adopted by a lot of studios and it makes sense it was a already put together system it was tested it was functional and it gave a lot of studios an option to move to digital that wasn't available and like I said I'm not entirely sure how many options were available at the time but Pro Tools was the system that was adopted, and there's nothing wrong with Pro Tools. Let me just first say there's nothing wrong with Pro Tools, but Pro Tools, you know, from its inception to its adoption for the pro audio industry, um, it's good that it was adopted. It's good that people seem to like that system, but you got to think about it. In time, things changed. Major studios while there used to be a great deal of them, it seems like they were consolidated. And there were a lot more project studios coming out, and then as technology progressed again, it made a leap. There were a lot of products that were being developed for home studios. So you went from having Pro Tools and then Pro Tools and then Cubase and then Cubase and then Logic and then Logic and then Reaper, Reaper. And then you had uh, Studio One and then Saw Studio and then Ardor. And you got all these multiple um, softwares that were available to anyone to use. And mind you, it does... Have a price point and it does have hardware specific requirements but you know there was a point in time where if you wanted to get involved in audio you had to make this huge investment and you had to have specific hardware and if those hardware requirements were not met it was not going to work whatsoever you're going to have issues so it meant making quite a bit of an investment if you wanted to deal in audio so again let's talk about the progression of time between that time and now, and we're in 2022, there have been leaps and bounds. And again, uh, the hugest, in my opinion, leaps and bounds have been in converter technology and software. And in software, I mean, as in a DAW, as in a workstation, and then also in the processing department. So uh, the, the biggest leap, in my opinion, is the whole idea of emulating Uh, things from the past, things that you can't necessarily get your hands on or to obtain a physical hardware version of it, it would cost a small fortune as opposed to a plugin, which is an investment. But, you know, if you're using it for the same purpose, you know, a project studio could afford it. Even a home studio could afford it. And you can use some of the same tools that were not uh, previously available because of the price. So technology has taken a huge leap again. And here we are in this wonderful digital age where anyone could from their bedroom literally produce a podcast. Um, they can make YouTube videos. They could blog, I suppose. You could do that too. Uh, but we're just going to focus on the whole audio thing. You could actually record music. A lot of those things mix it from your room. You don't necessarily have to you know be in an actual physical studio somewhere doing it and and that's that's what i think is that the most exciting thing is that you have so many options available now that you can pick and choose any way you want to go before not too many options now there's just so much so for me In what I do, I initially had Pro Tools a long time ago. It was an investment, and when I looked at the the hardware requirements, I looked at what I was doing with it, and when I was working with it at the time, I was like, yeah, you know, it's good to have it. It's good to know how to use it. But for me and how I work with how I work with audio, it didn't really fit how I do, you know, how I normally do audio. So I actually sold my license, and I ended up just investing the money that was inside or the the purchase price of the software Pro Tools. And I put that into just buying plugins, the stuff that I wanted to use, the stuff that I knew I needed. And I bought a plugin here, a plugin there, and I spent a good amount of money. And at that point, I could use a less expensive DAW, but have the specific tools that I wanted to use, like a really good EQ or a really good compressor, and I could get it in a way, with my workflow and how I work, and it it just worked out for me. So that was one of the things I did, and I've used Cubase. I've used a couple other softwares, but the one that I use now and I've used for probably the last, uh, I would say, four or five years is Reaper. I'm not advertising. I'm not telling you, hey, go out and buy Reaper. I'm just saying that it works for me. You could go uh, to—you can just do a a web search for Reaper DAW, Reaper— audio production or whatever, and you should be able to find the software. Relatively simple to install for both uh, Mac and PC. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any other variants available for Linux or any other uh, operating systems, but uh, I've used it on Mac and PC. They seem to work pretty much the same, in my opinion, but they're very simple to use. This one is very simple to use for me. It's easy for me to try to mix any sort of, uh, well, I should say this. For what I do, it's very simple. I can add the plugins that I have; they all work, and I've never had really an issue of compatibility with any plugin, as long as it's a VST3, VST2, or uh, audio unit. They all seem to work really well, and no issues. And the software that I'm using, they seem to always be making updates. That to me is huge, and that update is not going to make it so that I can't use previous projects. That's a, a huge plus for me. So. I just recently updated, I think, a couple days ago, and I'm using it. it. It seems to work fine, and I'm not having any issues. So each time there's an upgrade, there is a progression in its efficiency. And that's another thing. I like the way this software works. It is very efficient. It works very well. I don't have any glitches with my interface, and it's it's literally hassle-free the way I use it. So uh, for what I'm doing... For a podcast, for example, I actually have templates that I built. And for this one, uh, for a podcast, I have it built out to a recording channel. And on that recording channel, I actually am recording into a plugin. And that plugin has got like, let's see, it's got a compressor. I believe it's got a gate on it as well. And it's got a limiter. I think it's got a compressor. Yeah, I think it's got all those in there. EQ as well, and it's got some interesting features that I use, but I actually track with that, and then I, when I mix, it's actually mixed to several channels, and I have, like... Because I don't, I don't always do it as one take. It'd be great if I could do it in one take. That'd be awesome, but I can't sometimes, and there's... There's times that there is just noise because I am not in a completely sterile environment. So there could be someone screaming and it will pass through the walls, even though I have some sort of dampening material and some quasi soundproofing going on here. There could be screaming, yelling, people doing whatever. And uh, yeah, this is part of living in an apartment, but um, it works out. And for the most part, it's noise free. And uh, it works really well. But I think that if anyone was interested in doing pro audio or personal projects, whatever, you just got to find, first of all, the software that works with you. So it's okay to download a trial and use it, see if you like it, buy it if you like it. If you don't, just use it till the trial's over or immediately say, oh, no, this is not going to work. I don't like this. Erase it. Find something else because you got to find something that you like working with. And since I brought that up, I want to talk about technology that evolved. And one of it is license protection and, you know, basically keys to protect software. So, you know, in the in the inception of software, oftentimes when you bought software, it would come with physical disk. Air keys and you could just literally install the software. I know with Cubase you actually had to put a license key into your computer, which was like a USB dongle that it would look for the license every time it launched. For me, I don't really like that. Now I'll be honest with you, I have uh, two iLocks, I have two of them, and that that basically dates back to the, the Pro Tools era. So I still have two iLocks, the newer one and then one that's not so new. And it's because certain plugins that you buy, they have protection protocols and some of them require you to have either a physical iLock or if you have iLock installed like a software on your computer, it can do the download and the license download to your physical hard drive. So I have that for the majority of what I use and it works out pretty well, but That's the reason why I still use it. It's not preferred, but hey, they're they're making progress. Ideally, I'd like to have every license not on a iLock or at least in the software version where I could just have it on my computer instead of having a key, but for the most part it works. I don't have to worry about traveling around with it because for the most part that key stays in my desktop. I will say this, the security has had to progress and become a little bit more involved because of the fact that uh, there were a lot of people hacking into and making fake keys and fake license serials. And really think about it, it costs a company money. You know, a company wants to sell its products, it wants to make it available for people. And one of the prohibitive things about that is if it's priced at a point that the average person can't purchase like let's say you wanted to buy software and it's audio editing software and it's $800. you're probably not going to buy that software. even if you could save up, even if it would take you just a month or two to save the money to buy this software, maybe if it took you six months, if it's not if it's not economically feasible, You know, you have to justify that expense. So at that point, I know that there are people who were um, getting hacked keys for plugins and they were getting hacked keys for software. And again, I cannot, I cannot impart more that you need to, everything you have, you need to legitimately own. Nothing cracked, nothing fake. Own it. If it's yours and you really want to do this seriously, own it, buy it. Possess it. It's yours. There's no reason now, with the prices being what they are, for you to have anything uh, with fake cereals or fake keys because it's all affordable. Even Pro Tools, before you couldn't do it, they actually switched up their process so that you could do a monthly um, licensing where you pay them. I don't know how much it is, but they even flipped their whole model around because they were worried about losing people because of the high price point of just buying the software so you know if if that company is willing to redo all they're doing just to try to make it so they can get your business you should at least consider that there's really no reason for fake keys and serials um and i gotta reiterate that just go out and buy it it's it's perfectly fine spend some money if this is really what you want to do spend money do it and if you don't want to do it just just try try the trial see if it's something that you like if you like it buy it don't Don't do the fake serials, because trust me, you don't want issues later on. And I'm not even going to go into that. I'm just going to say you don't want fake licensing, licensed software on your computer. Anyways. Now, um, I do believe with all the progression, it's made it easier to produce. And for me... I am a one-man operation. I don't have any producer. I don't have any engineer I'm literally sitting in front of my microphone, and I am just recording. I also do not have a script. That's right No script. I just go for it and the beauty of this is is that I'm using very basic equipment to get in my opinion relatively professional results Uh, the microphone I'm using is actually vintage and what I mean by that is I'm not using a two-powered mic. This is actually a dynamic mic. I'm not using a mic booster. I actually have a preamp that's got 75 decibels of gain, and it actually works out really well. I'm not even using all of the gain, meaning that I've got, oh, and I'm looking at the meter. I'm looking at about mm, 25. I think I have 25 more decibels of gain I could add that I'm not going to because the signal level that I have right now is appropriate for what we're doing. So I have more than enough headroom, I have more than enough gain, and with the way I have my channel set up, I could literally turn my computer on, load up the software, double check my inputs, and pretty much open up my preset, click the record button, and I'm good to go. Saves a lot of time. One of the things that I like most about this software is the fact that you can build your own plugin chains and save them and then you can also build your own templates and save them and i have a bunch of them but for this one it's been like a work in progress so uh from the initial stage where i built my first kind of like preset where it auto loads the channels and it puts the channels with all the plugins everything loaded which saves so much time by the way i've gone through and i've made tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and every time i make a tweak i make sure i save it and then close out, open it again, and I just make sure that I have everything that I need and that it sounds good and that I'm not having any issues. And I would know because it would show me immediately if I have any issues. And so far, so good. So um, I definitely think that if you're interested in doing podcasts, definitely invest in a microphone. Uh, You want to have an interface interface. Some people would like to have just the microphone with the USB and they'll just use the USB microphone to plug in. If that's what makes you happy, go ahead and go for it. For me, I'm more traditional. I just want the regular microphone. I plug in with an XLR cable. I'm going into an interface. That interface has a lot of controls on it. I don't actually record with headphones. I think headphones are weird for me. If I was doing a situation where I needed to hear somebody talking back and forth, dialogue, yeah, I'd have to have earphones, but I'd probably have in ears. I do have in ears. I don't really use them for the right purpose, but I would use in ears, honestly. So, in the situation that I have right now, um, the way this is set up, again, regular microphone, XLR cable to interface, and then from there, it's just going straight into the computer. Um, when I'm playing it back, I'm actually, I already have preset channels, and all the channels I have are actually routed. To a it's a bus so I have a vocal bus and on that vocal bus I have my own stuff I have compressors on there. I have another channel open. That's got like a it's one of those What is it? It's a multi-channel. So it's got all these um, How do I even describe it? Oh, uh, it's it's like a emulated channel from a console So basically it's got EQ compressor gating. I don't really use that I really use the compressors mostly and the EQ to kind of tone it the way I want and I think for this one I actually have an emulated tape so ironically enough I actually use a tape emulation to get a nuance of the tape sound in the podcast at least on the vocal part of it if I'm doing some uh, other portion like if there was a music part that I was gonna add that probably wouldn't go through that particular channel just because I'd want it to be as raw As possible. Also, it's probably premixed, so that makes it a little bit easier. Now, I know we were talking about audio. I think that the beauty of uh, all this technological advance is that it makes it so that anyone could do it. And I know that there are other options available. I know that there was a software that I looked into that basically you still record it, but you record it into a platform. So basically, I think that it's a software you download from an online site. And this thing lets you kind of like transcribe what you're saying. And then instead of you physically editing a waveform, you're actually going in there and you're removing the words. If there's a lot of ums or uhs or, you know, spaces, pauses, whatever you want to call it, you edit it that way. But when I listened to it, I was like, no, that's not what I'm really into. I just I'm just so used to editing audio that I don't think I would wanna switch over and go to a system that I'm not really familiar with, but also can't really guarantee the actual quality of the recording because again, you're recording into a sub-platform and its I don't even know how it's storing. I think it's storing it in the cloud or physically on your hard drive, but it's not like a standard waveform. So it said that you'd have to export it either way. It just seems like there are a lot of options available. It just depends on how you want to do your podcast. And I was at one point even considering editing for a podcast that was being produced with the software and I'm like at this point I'm not really even editing because I don't have a real waveform and you know my my I guess I thought I was crazy me. I thought I was just going to be taking files download them. I was going to actually mix them, check levels, see where my metering is. I was going to compress. I was going to EQ. I was going to do all this wonderful stuff. they I like, oh no, we just need you to take this, open up this software and delete these files. I'm like, come on, man. I don't want to be a word editor. If we're going to do a podcast, we're going to record audio. We're going to edit that way. That's how I edit. And I, I honestly, I kind of went back and forth with the person who was making this offer. And I'm like, dude, this is just It just wasn't worth it. It just didn't seem like it was worth uh, the energy to go through this thing. They also had a really tight deadline where they were, like, recording on, like, a Tuesday night, and then they wanted to have it ready by Wednesday afternoon. And it's like, I have a job I go to for the moment, and there's no way I'm going to be up at midnight trying to edit someone's file so they can have a show uh, roughly in... I would say twelve hours. That's that's too tight of a turnaround. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And at that point, I realized, you know what? It's not even. There's no point in even having a conversation with somebody who wants that tight a turnaround on a podcast. I mean, I edit and it takes me time, but for what I do, it doesn't take me that long. But there's no way I'm gonna do a podcast like that. Wait for somebody to literally record files and then I gotta go in and then skim it. And then pull, uh, delete, sorry, not skim, but basically skim through it, check to see if it had deleted uh, the ums and the butts and all those things, and then do the thumbs up and make sure it was good to go. Like, that's, that's no fun at all. Now I know some people might feel like, oh, man, this is so cool. This is such an awesome software. I got to get this. This is how we're doing podcasts. Yes, this is it. This is the future. I want no part of that. In fact, I didn't even, like, I responded, and then once I heard what it was, I was like, oh, I can't do this. I just, I just let it go, because it wasn't really worth it for me. I can't even take credit for editing if if all I'm doing is going in to uh, application and deleting ums and buts, and I'm not physically working with physical files. That's not editing. And mind you, they weren't even going to let me mix in music or commercials, they weren't going to let me cut any of that stuff. No, that was happening with somebody else. So that's, that's editing. And I was like, so I'm trying to figure out what's the purpose of me doing what I'm doing. If it's that simple, you could do it. So I'm hoping that that's exactly what they did because it didn't seem like it was really a worthwhile project. I'm not saying that the podcast didn't have any validity. It probably had a great deal of worth and it probably had some really good content. However, for anyone else trying to work with that project because of how it was on that platform, how can you take credit for anything? It just kind of boggled my mind. But anyways, I want to say that if you're interested in doing a podcast, definitely get out there. You don't have to spend a fortune. You don't have to put it all on a credit card. You can just buy a couple of simple things. Remember, microphone. uh, Microphone, sometimes a microphone is USB, so you don't have to do anything but just take that microphone, plug it right in, done. You do need some speakers or headphones, though. I will say that. You need one or the other, sometimes both. I use both because I want to hear what... My, my voice or audio sounds like through speakers, which I have studio monitors, and also headphones. That gives me a rough approximation of how it should sound on earbuds, even though earbuds, their response could vary based on the drivers. Anyways, I hope this was helpful. And hoped hope uh, if you're inspired by it to go out there and just go do you, get yourself a podcast popping off. And uh, I hope this was helpful for you. Anyways, thank you. Have a good day.